When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. Penny, I could die. If you died, you'd forget me. I want to be remembered. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? I should come up sometimes, see me. I'm home every evening. Not often you hear May West mentioned these days. Um, not even in regards to life jackets. Uh, this is Simon Rose. We are talking the business of film. And I'm, of course, joined as ever by James Cameron Wilson. So, James, I'm assuming the business of film is really almost entirely bombed at the moment. I it is. hearing more numbers uh, from the film breaking new records. Indeed. And it's unbelievable to think that after 10 days, it made £52.7 million. And we used to be referring to pre-pandemic figures. We're now having to um, refer to post-bond figures because the whole landscape has changed. The uh, the weekend, last weekend, was down 34.6%, but that was such an amazing amount of money. As you know, it made more money than any other James Bond film Mm. in history in the UK. And I know so many people who are going back to see it a a second time, as indeed I did. Uh, I took a friend along to see it. And I actually think I got more out of it the second time than the first time. And I was wondering, what is my favourite Bond film of all time? I thought, well, it's probably still Skyfall. But I think I got more out of No Time to Die the second time than I did out of seeing Skyfall a second time. So you have something to look forward to. Well, I see, yes, I still haven't seen it, and I'm sort of wondering if I'm going to have to, to book in advance. Presumably you would recommend that if it's still so uh, Well, it's still popular. showing 12 times a day at my local multiplex. This weekend there are three new films opening. So at last the other distributors are just picking up courage to show their new films, mm. and the one I'm really looking forward to seeing is The Last Duel, the new Ridley Scott. Yes, I saw um, some mention the other day that, that, that apparently new cases of COVID they think may would be caused by the fact that so many people are going to the cinema to see the Bond film. Oh, really? Yeah, people what are, are back in close proximity. Watching? I don't know, but um, back in close proximity with each other again in a way they haven't been for a long time, I suppose. Well, I wore my mask. Um, people do wear their mask. You don't have to. That's the problem, of course, the people who don't wear their mask and sneeze down your neck in the row behind you. Well, I'm sorry, but that's, that's been unacceptable since the dawn of time. Well, uh, yeah, handkerchiefs absolutely. were invented for, if nothing else. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. Indeed. Oh, how horrible. How horrible. Yes, particularly as apparently the cold is going around at the moment is pretty uh, unpleasant. I know people who've, who've had that, several people, and that's you know, obviously not as bad, but still pretty nasty. So, okay, so it's recommended to go back. You get even more out of it a second time. So yeah, clearly, I think there is so much in it, Simon. It mm. is such a tightly constructed machine. 
And I got things that I missed the first time, probably because I was busy writing notes and writing mm. down the dialogue, the wonderful dialogue, that I missed so much the first time. And also, it went much quicker this time. But bearing in mind, it is the longest Bond film ever at two hours, uh, three quarters. It is a very long film. But I knew that going in, and I think it's important to know that going in. And the second time, knowing the length, I thought, I can't believe it's already over. Mm. It really is, Hitch- is an event of a movie. Hitchcock did say something about didn't it? the length of the film should be in inverse relation to the duration of the human bladder. Yes, he wouldn't necessarily have approved. It depends on your bladder. I suppose it does. I what suppose is it the does. Human two and three quarter. I don't know. Two and three quarter hours, particularly if you actually top up with anything from the uh, concession stand beforehand, could be quite a long time. Um, well, I did take a smaller coffee in this time. <laughs> I didn't take it in the jumbo like the first time. I was right. warned. But we do have a new film at number two called The Adams Family Two, which um, I don't know if you remember, but I called the original so half baked that it beggars belief. And I really this is not this is not. The, this is not the Adams Family live action that we remember with Christina no, Ricci. From, no, I yeah. mean, there have been so many different versions of the Adams Family. Of course, it originated as a cartoon comic strip and then was done with Ange- uh, Angelica Houston and Raul yes. Julia. Yeah, it's not exactly a, co- a comic strip, just a set of cartoons in the New, in the New Yorker. I have many of the, of the volumes of them Do you on really? my shelves. They are wonderful. Yes. Well, yes, I, yes. I thought the, the cartoon with the voices of Oscar Isaac and Charlize Theron was absolutely abysmal. And I'm afraid I couldn't face seeing the sequel. There was no point because you already know in advance what I'm going to mm. think of it. Mm. And I, it basically, it's about the Adams family who go on a road trip. They discover that maybe Wednesday has different DNA from the rest of the Adams family. And she sort of revolts against the road trip which is exactly what happened in a far better film from Netflix called The Mitchells versus the Machines. Oh, yes, and yes. I, and I was seeing the reviews of The Adams Family too, and I thought, what does this remind me of? And then I went back and reread my review, and I thought, and I started re-watching it again this morning. I thought, that was so good. So if you want to see uh, a dysfunctional family on a road trip, see The Mitchells versus the Machines on Netflix and save your money from The Adams Family too. Which you. even so managed to make two million over the weekend. At number three, we've got Shang Zi and the Legend of the Ten Rings down 28%, which is not bad because there are a lot of casualties this week. It was at number two. At number four, the extraordinary success story of Paw Patrol, the movie, which was at number four last week, has now got a total of £8.3 million, pounds, which considering it's a a knockoff of a Canadian computer animated TV series. But then it does have the voice of Kim Kardashian as a sassy poodle. That may be the the box office trick here. At number five, we've got The Many Saints of Newark, which is another TV offshoot, down 47% from The Sopranos. It was at number five. It's not, it's holding pretty well. It's now got a total of £1.9 million over here. At number six, and this, I think, is the huge success story post-lockdown. Uh, post it's Free Guy, which was at number three. It's now got a total of £16.8 million, which is a big number, uh, pre, a pre-Bond number, we should say, considering it had it wasn't a remake, it had no previous history, it wasn't a sequel, 
it mm. was a total original and the only way you could see it was in the cinema so people went to the cinema to see it and the word of mouth really boosted it. And number seven, we do have a sequel, Candyman, which is beautifully directed by Nia DaCosta, who is a name that we can look forward to later, down 39% with a total of £5.1 million. And another success story at number eight, which uh, we were, really took us by surprise last week, Chal Mira Part 3, which is an Indian film set mm. in and around the world of illegal immigration in the UK. It is down 65%, but you don't often see Indian films hold a second weekend at the UK box office. We do have a new film at number nine, Deadly Cuts, which is a black comedy set in Dublin, set in a hair salon, where the employees stand up to a ring of local gangsters starring Angeline Ball. It hasn't come any near near me and we have dear old Jennifer Hudson as Aretha Franklin in respect at number 10 which has now made a total of two million pounds down 47 percent we but as I say we have got a whole lot of new films opening this weekend Venom will be the big one the Venom sequel with Tom Hardy the the super villain film mm. and Halloween kills and the new Ridley Scott uh, yes, we're getting towards the, um, the cold months, I was thinking, when we begin to see some of the more highbrow films as they um, are released ahead of the, um, the award season in the new year. But whether that will happen this year, of course, I do not know. I like to call them the grown-up <laughs> movies rather than the highbrow. Right. OK. Grown-up movies then. Well, now, I don't know if I've got time to review a Netflix release before we go to the break. Yes, of course. OK, well... I am a huge fan of Antoine Fuqua because regardless of what type of film he makes, he always brings a cinematic muscularity hmm. to the screen, be it Training Day or King Arthur, the Western, The Magnificent Seven, or the intense, bruising boxing drama, Southpaw. In the last named, Jake Gyllenhaal gave one of his greatest performances as a man who has channeled his anger into becoming a star of the ring. And here the actor is reunited with Fuqua for this considerably more intimate portrait of a cop working the graveyard shift in an emergency call centre. Like the character he played in Southport, Gyllenhaal's Joe Baylor is a very damaged man, although struggling to be a better one. I've always felt that Gyllenhaal was one of the best actors of his generation. And I've been surprised that at awards time, he is invariably overlooked. He's only ever been nominated for an Oscar once for Brokeback Mountain, but has been consistently brilliant in films like Southpaw, End of Watch, Nightcrawler, Stronger, and now this, in which he is barely off screen. The Guilty, just released on Netflix, opens with an epic vista of Los Angeles in flames, while the soundtrack is crammed with the sound of sirens, helicopters and 911 calls. It is Armageddon and the emergency services are stretched to breaking point as we watch the hills around L.A. blaze. But even as homes are being destroyed and people are being burnt alive, there are other 
crises that need attending to, crises that have nothing to do with environmental catastrophe. This is a wonderful setting for a thriller. And while Joe Baylor's Night from Hell may be a little heavy hat, maybe a little heavily, heavily stacked towards melodrama in retrospect, Antoine Fuqua keeps the pressure on with the help of urgent editing, penetrating close-ups, a propulsive score, and above all, Jin and Hal's brilliant performance. Uh, and he, as he's fielding 911 calls against impossible odds, we find that he is being harassed by the Los Angeles Times. He's got a court case the following day. He's estranged from his wife and is physically and emotionally sitting on a knife's edge. The cinema seldom gives these guardians of the front, front line the time of day, let alone their own movie. And while they're trying to keep the peace on the streets, their own lives could be just as complicated as is the case here. The film reminded me of a similar cooker pressure thriller, like Andrea Arnold's Red Road, which was set in a CCTV mm. operating room. And indeed, Andrew Nichols' Good Kill, in which Ethan Hawke plays a drone operator stuck in a porter cabin in the Nevada desert. And the claustrophobia this environment provides really does add to the drama of any film. And talking of Ethan Hawke, he gets second billing in The Guilty as the voice of a cop on the ground who is trying to assist Joe Baylor in the apparent abduction of a woman called Emily. In this case, the film recalls, for me, Stephen Knight's Locke, which I know you mm. are a huge fan yes, of. Yes, I am. In which one actor holds our attention throughout as events spiral out of their control. And in both films, there is an excellent vocal ensemble that fills out the action and steers our imagination towards the worst case scenario. In Locke, we had actors of the caliber of Olivia Coleman, Andrew Scott, and Tom Holland, who I forgot was in Locke. And well, here yes, we... sort of. <laughs> and here we have the voices of Ethan Hawke, Paul Dano, and Peter Sarsgaard. But I was particularly struck by Riley Keough as Emily, a woman Joe Baylor connects with over the line, who's apparently in a white van having been abducted by this man with a knife. And through the marvels of technology and human persuasion, Baylor manages to track down Emily's six-year-old daughter, who is alone in her mother's house and very, very frightened. That's all you need to know. However, I've mentioned Kylie Riley Keough a few times on the show who always turns in a first-rate performance, even just as a voice. Uh, she was in Logan Lucky, the house that Jack built and the devil all the time, which was actually produced by Jake Gyllenhaal. The fact that her grandfather is Elvis Presley is entirely irrelevant. So that's The Guilty. Now, oddly enough, James, I've seen the movie. It was, um, it's a remake of. Which was uh, a was it a Danish Dan film? Danish yeah. film, which they entered, You've seen submitted the original. Yeah, I've seen the original. Um, oh, I think it was on. I think it was online and very good too. I mean, incredibly tense and largely just one actor. Can't remember the name. I'm afraid not. Not a name that trips off my tongue. Anyway, um, very short, less than an hour and a half. I think just a, a couple of years ago. I think I saw it last year sometime. Um, but it was submitted as their entry for the Os foreign language Oscars, but didn't actually get anywhere. Um, but it's also very good. That's probably available. It online did get very good well. reviews. Yeah, yes. and I meant to see it. But this mm. is a very good remake. Largely because Gyllenhaal is so good. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, it all rests on the central performance. I mean, similar to 
to lock as as, as you were saying in that in that respect time i think though for us to take a quick uh, breather sharing ideas about money this is share radio This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Business of Film on Share Radio, where, as ever, I'm... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. In conversation with James Cameron Wilson. So the business film, dominated completely by Bond, were, were largely looking on, on buying this week for, for um, what we can see. Um, where do we go now? Well, it's interesting talking about The Guilty, the Danish version, because it's been a long time since I've seen a foreign language film, partly because of lockdown. Um, mm which is perhaps why a new Polish-Irish co-production came as such a shock, presenting a whiff of a world that many of us may be only peripherally aware of, but not personally acquainted with. And I have to say that I was riveted from the start by a film called I Never Cry. And like The Guilty, the, the, the Danish version, and indeed the Netflix remake, this rests entirely on the performance of one actress who plays Ola, who is one tough cookie. And like, I suppose, many 17-year-olds of her generation, she smokes incessantly, swears profusely, drinks way too much, and is not above a little sexting, a world that was alien to me when I was 17. And unlike her mother, who is at home nursing Ola's brother with multiple sclerosis, Ola can actually speak English, which is important, and she is determined to learn to drive. Should she pass her driving list, her, her, her father, a part-time parent, has promised to buy her a car. Ola may not be subject to tears, hence the film uh, called I Never Cry, but it could just as easily have been called I Never Smile. Ola is ungrateful. She's rude, unapologetic, angry and self-centred. But she does have enormous spirit. And during her third driving test, she almost breaks a smile when her instructor intimates that she may have passed this time. Then her mobile phone goes off, an incident that leads to, well, let's just say a chain of unfortunate events ending in a brawl on the street. The scene reminded me of Mike Lee's Happy Go Lucky, which Eddie mm. Marson played a short-tempered driving instructor. Yes, I recall, yes. Although the tone of I Never Cry is more Ken Loach than Mike Lee. The director is Piotr Damalewski, whose second film this is, and he has a story to tell, partly inspired by certain autobiographical events. And Damalewski knows how to tell a story and has enough faith in his material to keep the narrative centre stage and moving at an, an agreeable clip without condescending to his audience. This is Ola's story, and she figures in every frame as her life unravels in spite of her best intentions. Without giving too much away, she has, has to leave her native Poland for the first time, takes her first plane, and finds herself in a foreign country which is cold, wet, and unfriendly. 
or Ireland, as some people call it. At least that is Ola's impression. And she finds herself on the back foot as she struggles to find out about her father, who worked in a shipyard in Dublin in order to help support his family back home. So this is part social document, part investigative mystery, and predominantly a character study. It is a mesmerizing slice of social, social commentary. Although I've heard some Polish immigrants praise this country, at least England and the United Kingdom, not every experience has been positive. Things are expensive here compared to, to Poland. And there's one scene when Ola finally finds a tobacconist that's willing to sell her a pack of cigarettes. She hands over a five euro note, only to be told the cigarettes will actually cost her 12 euros. And the film reminded me of another recent drama set in Dublin, Herself, in which the participants do not immediately appear friendly, but beneath that hostile demeanour, they are willing to fight the good fight. Dramatically, this is so much more effective, I think, than when a character's altruism is worn on his or her sleeve. So Ola has to break through this veneer in order to get people to try and help her. Um, and in spite of all her negative character traits, the director Piotr Domaluski establishes her ultimate good nature, largely by the way she cares for and obviously loves her own brother, the, the one with multiple sclerosis, which you see at the beginning and you realise that she does have a heart. She may feel short done by the world around her and resist accordingly, but for those less fortunate than herself, she's ready to be there for them. Above all, and this is a name I'm going to look out for, Sofia Stafich is a terrific screen presence. She reminded me of a Polish Thomason Mackenzie. I don't know if you saw, I think you did leave no trace. Jojo Rabbit. Oh, yes, 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 yes. You know the actress I'm talking about? Yes, yes, I do now, yes. True History of the Kelly Gang, etc. Anyway, it is... Stafich's film, and she will break your heart. And it, it looks stunning. I actually found myself freeze-framing the film just to take oh. in the streets and thinking, wow, there's so much here. I just want to just... I would sit there for a minute and then continue because it's such a good-looking film. Yeah, I kind of, don't imagine that happens very often, James. No, it doesn't happen to me. Mm. Um, and I, we've got... I, a, a little time, I'd like to mention another film. Um, I know it wasn't long ago that I reviewed Tiger Bay, in which Hayley Mills played a yes. girl who befriended and harboured a killer. But I'd never seen it before, and Hayley had just written a piece for this new book that I'm collaborating on. Well, a film I revisited this week also features Hayley Mills as a girl who befriends and harbours a killer. But this time, I watched Whistle Down the Wind for an oh, entirely yes. different reason. I've actually been in touch this last week with Nanette Newman. I've rung her a number of times, uh, the children's author and actress married to Brian Forbes. This, of course, is his first film. And Nanette very kindly has agreed also to write a piece for this project I'm working on because her husband uh, wrote for the book. Um, And I have to say, it really holds up. This is the first time that Brian Forbes ever directed a film. John Mills, Haley's father, was not at all sure he was up to the task. But when the original director, Guy Green, dropped out, and with the encouragement of the film's producer, Richard Attenborough, Brian Forbes 
stepped in. The rest, they say, is history. But really, it is a markedly assured first feature, full of lovely little touches and a startling lack of sentimentality, I thought. Apparently, and Annette Newman was telling me, Steven Spielberg was set at one point said it was his favourite film. Um, and he was largely inspired to do E.T. based on it. It's shot in and around Burnley in Lancashire. It has been superbly restored and is based on a novel by Mary Haley Bell, Haley Mills's mother. And it's a very simple story of these children who discover this fugitive in their father's barn. And they sort of wonder who he is. And his, they ask him who he is. He's played by Alan Bates in his first starring role. And the, he utters an expletive, Jesus Christ, and they take him literally. And yes, that sir. is the story of how they protect him from the adults, although he's actually a gunman on the run. Uh, and I think the understatement of Alan Bates' performance, far from being a charming imposter or even mm. a deranged killer, he's just a sad, confused man. And I think it really works to the advantage of the film. And a wonderful screenplay adapted by Keith Waterhouse and Willis Hall. It's a, a wonderful, gritty piece of social realism and a commentary on faith. I was completely entranced after all these years. Oh, fascinating. I had no idea that uh, Hedy Mills' mum had written the original novel. I, mm. uh, I learned something new every week with you, James. Thank you very much indeed. That's James Cameron Wilson, who will be back uh, with more business of film at the same time next week. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. I am big. It's the picture that got small. <laughs>